Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCrit Podcast. In fact, this is the first podcast for the new year. So happy new year if I haven't gotten to see you and say it in person. All right, today we're talking about AVAPS, Average Volume Assured Pressure Support. What the hell is that? You should know. It's a mode that may be utile for you when you have a patient with hypercapnic respiratory failure. And yet, my guess is you probably haven't heard of it. I mean, I'm sure some of my ED critical care buddies have, but most of you out there are like, AVAPS, what the hell is that? And yet, it is a very good mode for certain patient populations. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and I'm joined with one of my former fellows, Alex Bracey, a great guy, one of my buddies, and uh, we're going to have a good chat about AVAPS. And then at the end, I'll talk about some of the papers and such like that. All right, so let's roll right into it. Now, if you're hearing this part, it means you're listening to the free version of this podcast. And uh, I'm going to give you the full whole thing. I'm not going to cut it off. I really kind of hate that. But, you know, you could avoid me having to make that decision by doing the best thing for your critically ill patients, your sick patients in the ED, for your knowledge base of resuscitation and acute critical care by actually signing up as a member of the Empire Podcast. It's cheap. It's easy. You get CME. You write it off on your taxes or you use your CME funds for it. And all of a sudden, you're exposed to 60 journals worth of critical care every month, the most cutting-edge treatment for your really sick patients, the capability of going beyond the basics in emergency medicine and really doing cutting edge critical care. So just come on over to mcrit.org slash join. That's mcrit.org slash join and consider becoming a member so you don't have to deal with these silly messages every friggin' two weeks. All right, now we can really roll into it. So who are you and what do you do? I'm, a, I'm Alex Bracey. I'm an ED physician and resuscitationist at Albany Medical Center. And I'm also the program director at the Resuscitation and Emergency Critical Care Fellowship up here. There you go. And what are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about AVAPS or Average Volume Assured Pressure Support on the BiPAP. All right. What the hell is that? So you know how the BiPAP has a machine that we plug on people's faces all the time when they come in and are hypoxic or they're encephalopathic and we're trying to either pre-oxygenate them or see where we can get them without having to intubate these folks. So we have this traditional mode where we set the IPAP, we set the EPAP, we feel great about ourselves. We maybe get a, vo a title volume of something that we're looking at or not and uh, hope for the best when we check on them in the next 30 minutes. So AVAPS is different in that it, you set, instead of setting an IPAP or an EPAP, which you do in theory, you do ostensibly, you, you set a target title volume that you want your patient to receive with each breath. And then the machine does the work of adding the pressure to achieve that title volume up to a limit. So the, the benefit there being it's possible to get the title volumes that you want without having to do as much work. Yeah, most people, like there's three levels of this. Like most people are just like 10 and five and that's it. That's how BiPAP works as if right. it's like a single setting device. And obviously that'll be salutary for some patients, but it's not really customized to what the hell's going on. And then level two is people are locked into this mode, what is essentially pressure support and PEEP, though they'll have different names for it in the BiPAP world. And they might understand the individual adjustments that the inspiratory pressure is your, your minute ventilation and the expiratory pressure is your PEEP, in essence, for oxygenation. And they'll play with that. Now, we're mm -hmm. really talking about a third level here, which is breaking out of that paradigm of there's just one mode and now actually having some options, not just in settings, but in mode as well. So when would you choose AVAPs over standard IPAP, EPAP, BiPAP? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, probably and the like, small amount of literature that exists on this topic supports the idea that it's probably got its greatest utility in those who, who come in and either you have a very strong suspicion or confirmed suspicion that they're encephalopathic 
from a hypercapnia. So that particularly those with COPD. And we, one thing that I like to point out, especially to my residents, is that a lot of the time we, we get in our mind in emergency medicine that we have only moments to take someone's airway if they're obtunded or maybe they can't participate in, the, in their own respiratory drive to an effective extent. But certainly this was in play before I was a practicing physician. Since my residency and fellowship, BiPAP has been a major feature of this. And it just buys you all kinds of time at the absolute minimum. And a lot of the time it can re- recover people that would otherwise not have been salvageable without being intubated. In the case of the encephalopathic patient from hypercapnia, we, and you, we all know this, we all experience this, where you can slap the BiPAP on their face and you can set the, the 10 over 5, see their tidal volumes be 150 or 250 and get nowhere. And then ultimately it becomes a foregone conclusion that you're going to end up intubating these people. Or if you're more, if you're a more aggressive, like you pointed out, you'll be the kind of person who goes in there and sets the iPad to starting at 15 and watches the tidal volume and you aggressively up titrate from there. But I really think this has probably the greatest utility for most people who are either learning to use their BiPAP or have a little bit less uh, experience with the BiPAP and they're not actively or an extraordinarily busy department, which is certainly common today, where you put the BiPAP on and you set the tidal volume that you want uh, and allow the, the machine to do the work. And, and this has all kinds of advantages, particularly if the patient starts to wake up, they're not going to get the same enormous volume that they were getting when they were uptunded. Or if they move positions, they, they, there's, again, the adjustment in volume there will account for that position change. So it really has utility in the patient who will get better as time goes on from their illness and that illness will be corrected with the machine that is the BiPAP. Yeah, I love it. Bracey, is it fair to think about that? This is essentially just PRVC on an non-invasive yeah. machine. Is that correct? A hundred percent true. Yeah, it is. It's a, it arose by another name. All right, fair. Now, the other mistake people make, because they could choose a adequate tidal volume. And I don't think people appreciate that for these hypercapnic encephalopathy patients, they also need an increase in their minute ventilation. And so you need a respiratory rate for these patients as well. Is that an option? On Absolutely. ADEP? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and thank you for pointing that out. It's, it's an option on both BiPAP with traditional settings, we'll call it, a, and AVAPS. It, it is one of the settings that you can titrate. Setting the respiratory rate is certainly an element of it, especially when, a lot, again, a lot of these encephalopathic patients from hypercapnia will come in almost entirely obtunded or with a minimal respiratory drive. And that is that setting in particular is often just ignored. And I could be wrong, and this could be entirely vent dependent, but most of these default to a backup rate of about 10. Yeah, yeah, the backup rate's always there. And I think RT, depending on the place, will put them on a mode that actually has a respiratory rate. But in classic BiPAP, it's just supposed to be a pure demand mode. And if the backup hits at all, rather than just alarming, that should be used as a backup, not as desired setting. I love the idea for these patients with type 2 respiratory failure, where you really care about the CO2, not the oxygenation, to be able to really dial in the minute ventilation you're looking for. And that has to be a hyperventilatory minute volume. You can't go with just normal, because what... what that's what brought them there in the first place. You got to yeah, yeah. start chipping away at that CO2. So if you had one of these patients, let's say they have 130 PaCO2, they're schlogged. What kind of settings would you put them on, on AFAPs? Yeah. So I'm usually, when I go in and I'm obviously doing my evaluation of the per- person, let's just pretend that this is somebody who's got at least ideal circumstances for a face mask. I think they're not like an enormous Christmas Santa beard, which of <laughs> course most of these people are, but just ideally to take at least that portion out of the equation. I'm typically aiming in your average sized person, again, height, you know, average height person, which is what the title volumes are based off of. Usually shooting for something like 500 of a title volume 
And I start the respiratory rate pretty aggressively. I think maybe it's not that aggressive. I start about 20 and I'm looking for the things that need to be looked for, things like breath, breath stacking and augmentation and the full exhalation and the like. Um, yeah, that's usually around where my start. And I'm shooting, I'm aiming to shoot a little bit higher than what I normally would in say a ventilated patient where I'm being very conscious of lung protection and the like, because I really want them to turn around. Intubation here seems not quite like a failure, but something I'm trying to avoid in this circumstance. Yeah, I think, first of all, people don't give non-invasive a chance. I've yeah. been in many places where they're just like, oh, let's intubate. And I think that's more on the predisposition of let's just get the procedure and be done with this patient and send them up to the ICU rather than what's best for them. Because I think if you can turn these people around, then they're going to do better than being put on the vent. It's an unnecessary thing. And okay, so is there literature support for this at Albury? What do we got out there? What's the level of evidence? Yeah, it's such a, it's, when I originally looked at this, there was just about nothing. And there was all observational studies and case reports. And actually most of the, most of the literature out there is um, in support of a chronically vented person with obesity, a hypoventilation syndrome. What is out there for the emergency medicine and critical care literature is, again, observational trials. There was at least one RCT that I'm aware of, but the observational stuff is, as, as tends to be, a little bit more exciting. In, you know, in one study, I think it's Claudette et al., they show that there's a significant difference between AVAPs and BiPAP. Um, in achieving GCS goals more rapidly and clearance of PCO2 in achieving higher IPAPs compared with traditional settings. These are, we're talking about studies on the order of 22 patients per cohort. There's another study out of Turkey that shows that there's pretty similar findings in terms of regarding the clearance of CO2 and with AVAPs, it's more, even actually this one's as a salvage therapy that you have clearance of, of CO2 to a greater extent with AVAPs compared to BiPAP after with traditional settings after that's failed. The one RCT that exists on this really doesn't show any difference, but again, it's a cohort of 40 people per arm. So you can make the argument that, the, that there is no difference in terms of patient-centered outcomes here in that study in particular, which demonstrated the, that there was no difference in rates of those with hypercapnic encephalopathy going on to need to be uh, intubated. So. Now, what I'd be curious about in that trial was, did they just put them on the standard 10 and 5 and leave them, or were they allowed to titrate the... IPAP, because if you're able to do the latter, then I don't think there would be any difference. It's just that it's more of a pain in the butt. But if you if they put them on what standard ED is, which is just 10 and 5 and leave them, then I, and it didn't show a difference, I would be surprised. Do you remember offhand, Bracey? No, I, I have to, I have to look back at it. I apologize. I don't All right. So is there any way we screw this up? Yeah, we're all pretty clever, I think, at the end of the day, at finding ways to mess it up, to mess things up in general. I, I think the biggest failure is just in general with BiPAP, I don't know that it's AVAPs itself, but it's BiPAP in general, is to set the person and totally ignore them. I think, and I think it happens, and honestly, it happens not because people are malicious or, or doctors are ignorant of their it, It's things get hectic, things get busy. You have a, a person who's otherwise flying on the BiPAP that, that's irrespective of the setting. That's one way to screw it up for sure. What questions should I have asked you about all this, Alex, that I haven't yet? No, I think I think that the biggest question is for me anyway at this point is why even bother with this? And I actually think that if you were to make me choose which setting that I could that I could, I could actively titrate or I could put or I could use the, I actively titrate the IPAP and the EPAP, the respiratory rate, etc. If versus using AVAPs, I think I would advocate for using AVAPs if all things are equal. And I, I think at the absolute minimum they are. There's no difference. If even the, that these studies bear out, I think that's a way of interpreting it. There's probably no difference, uh, especially in a person who's actively titrated traditional settings. 
I think ABAPS is beneficial because if you do get pulled away, or if you just are a lesser experienced user, you're, you'll find it harder to, you'll find more forgiveness for your errors or for your uh, absence. Um, and then there's the theoretical upside, of course, that it really, maybe this actually does really improve people's GCS is faster, clear CO2 faster and alike. That is, that's my, that's the biggest question that I encounter when I'm talking with my RTs about wanting to put on ABAPS or my residents about why I'm doing it. Yeah, I, because I've trained you in your recess fellowship, my feelings on this, but I, I think BiPAP should not have been the default mode. It should be CPAP for oxygenation issues. And you only get the BiPAP when there's a CO2 issue solely or in addition to an oxygenation issue. Would it be a better world if we only had CPAP and AVAPs? Is there any real room to have just pure IPAP, EPAP settings? I'm not sure where that those uh, it's such an interesting question because I think that from in a purist sense, people would at least have a better command of what they're doing on the BiPAP. Because when I see you, just to your point, a lot of people will, of course, start at 10 over 5. But even beyond that, if someone's not oxygenating well, people will go up on iPad. Yeah. If someone is if someone's encephalopathic and they want to increase if they're increasing the iPad, they'll increase the EPAP along with that. And of course, maintaining the driving pressure. Yep. And ostensibly not doing much, if anything. I think to your point, in a purist sense, you, you definitely would have people who have command over the device that they're using with each and better command over the device, not. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to add, Bracey? Ah, just said it's a pleasure to speak with you. Good to see you. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a longtime listener. Yeah. What a great pleasure, man. So there you go. There's the uh, podcast episode on AVAPs. So what do I think at the end? All right, first of all, let's be really clear. The literature base on this mode is not fantastic. I mean, there's the literature base on any of it is not fantastic in the non-invasive world, but it's it's really lacking uh, here for AVAPs. Now, the papers that are out there do show a benefit for parameters for time to clearance of CO2. They're not showing any patient-important outcomes yet. There's no uh, studies big enough to actually do that. And I will say, though, that the minimal differences positive towards AVAPs you see, I think would be very different if they did the trial that should be done, which is they put one set of patients on AVAP in the ED, AVAPs, and the other set of patients on 10 and 5, uh, spontaneous timed, and just leave them there with no titration, which is what I think happens in almost every ED. And then I think you'd see patient-important differences because uh, these the studies, they were actually titrating up until they achieved the title volumes that they were looking for. Well, that that's going to completely obviate any benefit of AVAPs aside from like a slight convenience benefit. No, what you want to compare AVAPs to is standard ED practice, which is the RT comes once, they stick them on a mode, you keep doing a few blood gases, you see they're not getting better, you say, screw it, let's intubate these hypercapnic patients. And I really think you'd see a big difference in that situation. So sure, if you're titrating up your IPAP, EPAP, uh, S&T, BiPAP to like 26, 28, 30, which is what's happening in these studies uh, to get a title volume, you're not going to see any difference with AVAPs. How could they be? They're, they're the same thing. It's just a different way of getting there instead of the computer's brain it's your hands but if we compare it to what's actually done which is you know at most one titration move if any and then they get intubated i think we really would see a difference no one's done that trial maybe someone should do that trial do that trial m great listeners you're you have the capability of making this happen it's an easy trial to do um would you have to get consent? You probably would, but I think it's an easy consent to get when you say like the alternative is an earlier intubation with all of the problems and deleterious effects that has. So uh, do the study, please, please, please. All right, what about settings? I mean, we we kind of glossed over it. I want to make 
ironclad uh, recommendations on something that doesn't have any ironclad evidence behind it. Uh, so what would I say? I would say, here's the settings I would put a patient on when I do AFAPs. Uh, tidal volume 8 to 10 mLs. You know, these are not patients with type 1 ALI or ARDS. They could tolerate slightly higher tidal volumes. Um, and therefore, you know, we have the ProVent trial to say that and even patients with um, on the vent for like serious things, instead of hypercapping respiratory failure, you can go up to 10. So I would push them a little bit here because we're trying to avoid intubation. So I'd put them, you know, oftentimes on 10 cc's per kg ideal body weight or predicted body weight. Respiratory rate, I'd probably start at 20, just like Bracey said. EPAP is whatever the patient needs, but if it's pure type two, they don't need very much at all. You know, you could put them on three or four of EPAP. And then you're gonna set max and min IPAP settings on this mode. So max, I'd probably say 25. And this brings up one of the only issues we didn't talk about that you have to consider, um, and it's not specific to AVAPs, but it's something to consider on any of these patients, is there is a limit to high, how high you could go on a mask compared to uh, an endotracheal tube, because eventually you're gonna start pushing against that esophageal sphincter. And you know, that probably opens up around 22, 23. I wouldn't go too much beyond that. So I'd say your max IPAP should probably be something like 25 centimeters of water. In some of these studies, they went up to 30. I don't know, I get a little leery at that point. So 25 is my limit. The minimum IPAP is probably like whatever your EPAP setting is, plus like four or five. FiO2 is whatever you need. So there's your settings. Um, you can take a look at the papers. I put them all in the show notes, the ones that are relevant that Bracey and I found. Um, what else could I tell you? Uh, I, I do think this is a thing that will be useful to have in your back pocket next time you get a patient with that hypercapnic encephalopathy. Most of these patients are reversible. Now, the key thing to understand is that once you reverse them, once you get a CO2 there where you want it, and you're not trying to shoot for normal. Most of these patients live at like 60, 65. So shoot for when the pH starts approaching normal, not when your CO2 starts approaching normal. That'll give you your patient's baseline. When you get there, you can't take them off the BiPAP, they'll go right back to where they were. Whatever nitus was driving them to be hypercapnic will remain that way. So, you know, you have to treat whatever's going on, whether it's a pneumonia or what have you. Um, I would leave them on that BiPAP, even as they're better, even as they're awake, for at least a day or two, um, which means they probably should be in the ICU. Uh, you know, if you have like a step-down bed or some kind of respiratory care unit that's lower than the ICU where they get careful monitoring, that's great. But I'd be really worried to stick these patients on the floor um, with these, because there's, there's a very good chance they'll fall backwards unless people are actually watching them. So I don't think this is a way to avoid the ICU. I think this is a way to avoid the tube, but they still should probably be going to a high level of care and remain on that AVAPS or some form of uh, inspiratory support, uh, non-invasive positive pressure ventilation for at least, you know, uh, 24, 48 hours at least. Okay. I'm sure the stuff we missed that you'd like to have questions about, so just put them in the show notes at mcrit.org slash 341. And uh, until next time, this has been Scott Weingart for the MCRIT Podcast saying bye-bye. Now you know before I go, I like to put a little plug here for uh, the coaching I do at my company, Medicine, uh, Medicine Coaching. Uh, and what we do there is I deal with all sorts of issues. Um, people who've taken on new leadership positions, people who are burnt out and feeling so crispy that they're thinking I need to leave or I'm going to not be able to handle life anymore in this job. Well, maybe there's some things we could do to keep your uh, paycheck coming, keep the job you trained for for so long and still be happy there uh, because that's what it's about is being happy and fun during your shifts. I mean, 
it's still hard work, but we should be having fun. If you're not having fun, contact me for coaching. You should be having fun. We can figure out a way to get you into a state of flow, a state of fun during your shifts. Um, or maybe it's a habit you want to break. People are writing you bad recommendations and and uh, patient evaluations and such, and uh, it's not looking so good for you. We can, we can talk about that. You know, there's a multiplicity of things that I coach people on, but basically any issues you're having in emergency medicine or critical care uh, would be something that we could talk about working on. So if you're interested in that, just come on to over to mcrit.org slash coaching. That's mcrit.org slash coaching. I will talk to you soon.